let's play a game. Before the podcast starts, I real quick wanted to mention that, um, you know, I, I made this show almost a month ago, and in that time frame, I received an email from our good friends at the RPG show, uh, specifically Brent, and he had made for me that intro that you just heard, and I, I wanted to give him credit within this episode that that was his. I ended up using that intro, and I think I'm going to use it from now on. I really like it, and uh, I just wanted to give him... Uh, credit where credit is due. So the reason you won't hear me mention it in the show proper is because I did, you know, record that a while ago. Anyway, on to the show proper, and thanks for listening. Hello again, and welcome to yet another edition of Is It Worth It? Now, if this is your first time uh, listening to the show, basically I'm an offshoot of Derek and Don's retro RPG show, where I talk about video games, yes, but... Typically, not always RPGs, although quite a few are. Um, what I talk about are games that are rare and valuable, one or the other, usually both. Uh, games that I usually own myself, I pull them down from the shelf, play them, and tell you whether or not I feel as though it's worth it from a collector's standpoint. Hi, I'm your host, Blaine J, and today, well, normally I'd insert title here, but... I couldn't decide on what game to play. Uh, Basically, this is the month of October, and as most people associate October with Halloween, myself included, I thought I would do a horror title for this month. Now, I had one particular game in mind, and that game would be Rule of Rose for the PlayStation 2. Now, I have played this game in the past, and I do own a copy. I paid, um... Oh, I want to say $4.95 for it. And the the dang thing is going for like $200 plus now. Um, I started to play it. I realize I kind of have rose-colored glasses, excuse me, um, towards the game. No pun intended. Uh, It's really not that great a game. It handles kind of poorly. If you're a big, big fan of Resident Evil games and the like, this is one maybe you should check out. It was produced by uh, Atlas um, in the late 2000s, right around 2009, if I remember correctly. Um, It's not a bad game, certainly. You play the role of this little girl that is caught in this world that is also ruled by other little girls. And you're in this house, you find a dog that has been tied up and tortured by these girls, You untie it, it befriends you, and through the dog, um, you're able to attack enemies and the like. Uh, The little girl herself really doesn't do anything. All the commands are through the dog. Um, It sounds a lot more interesting than it actually is. The graphics really didn't hold up. So just without even having replayed it for, you know, just a few minutes, really, uh, maybe 30 minutes or so, I, I... quickly lost interest, didn't want to spend the 9 to 20 hours that would likely take for me to play through it, and I would just say, no, Rule of Rose, not going to be worth the $200 price point that it currently holds. If you just absolutely have to have another, you know, uh, Resident Evil style game, and I don't know why you would, because at this point there are just countless um, Resident Evil style games, then uh, look elsewhere. There's a, a cheaper game I really enjoyed, I remember, for the PS2 called uh, Ghost Hunter, I believe. Um, it's not worth much of anything. It probably only goes for 10 bucks. Uh, much more enjoyable experience than Rule of Rose. Um, another game that I wanted to touch on or talk about in depth, actually, was um, The Uninvited for the original Nintendo Entertainment System. Now, this game, unlike Rule of Rose, I thought I would have, you know, again, rose-colored glasses and uh, the nostalgia would be talking. And I thought, well, you know, this is one of those, uh, oh gosh, I can't even remember what they called these games. There's three games all by the same publisher. Um, Uninvited, Shadowgate, which is also a horror-themed, more medieval-type game, and then uh, Deja Vu, which is a, a very much film noir set in, you know, the 1930s detective-style game, and they're all point-and-click, which 
If you've been listening to my show for any length of time, you know that point and click is amongst my favorite genres. And I, you know, Uninvited is clearly just straight horror. And again, I thought this one isn't going to hold up. Uh, I was sorely wrong. You start the game, very ominous music playing. Uh, it explains to you that you're driving along the highway uh, with your sister. And suddenly there's an apparition in the middle of the road. And you swerve to miss it, thinking it's a person or what have you, and you run smack into a tree. Well, when you become conscious, you're in the front seat of your car, and your sister is missing. Now, this is the first taste you get of the game, and if you do anything other than open the door and get the F out of the car, the car will blow up. You can check the glove box, you can mess around with the buttons on the console, whatever, there's nothing in the car the car will blow up and you get your first death scene. Now this, if you haven't played any of these titles before, this is one of many, 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 many death scenes that you will get playing through this game. Even me, having retained much of what to do to get through the title, um, I died countless times. Thankfully, there is virtually no consequence for dying in this game. When you die, you get sent back to the previous screen and all is well. It's as though it didn't happen, and you can try whatever it is um, that you decide on, again, to try and get past whatever puzzle or whatever it was that killed you. I mean, you can do things in these games like use axe on self and just commit suicide. You can, you know, use candles on hair and set your hair on fire and die that way, you know. Uh, I believe in Shadowgate, you can use the torch on self uh, three times before you actually die. <laughs> Uh, silly things like that. So, I mean, there's multiple, multiple ways to kill yourself, some of which give you a short animation or whatever. Anyway, so you you get out of the car, obviously, and uh, the only thing within sight is this mansion. It's this big, ominous-looking horror mansion, and, and you walk up to the front door. It's locked. Check the mailbox. There's a letter in there. You open it up. Inside the letter is a pendant. As soon as you take pendant, you... um see the doors of this place open up, you walk in, there's a kind of foyer there with a fireplace, there's a rug with a big star on it, a couch that if you examine it says you feel something hard in it. That's uh, obviously a clue. Now you can immediately go off to the um, right there and there's a room with a book on the table that will teach you uh, four spells and then the book disappears and those spells are... Um, I forget the names, one's like Cladisi, and it's it'll turn you invisible, which I don't know that I actually ever used in the game. There's one um, that'll get you through a stone wall. There's one called Thunder something that um, basically it calls Thunder forth to scare away stuff. And shit if I remember the last one. Anyway, there are, except for the Cloudisi, which I don't remember using, um, you use these throughout the game for various puzzles. And you exit through here, and you go to the north at, off the foyer there, and uh, here if you, you, you'll see several rooms off to the sides or what have you, and if you try and open up any of the doors there, um, you're greeted with your first apparition. There are many ghosts in the game that will attack you, and some kind of actually pleasant music starts to play and this woman um, described as looking like Scarlett O'Hara appears before you now you don't see her face it, her face is shrouded but she's got a classic Victorian style umbrella and a big fluffy dress with the hoop skirt and what have you all the lace everywhere and everything and um, you can talk to her and she says oh hello my love um, I'm so glad you decided to come with me or something you know kind of creepy like that um, and then if you try any action after that, she'll kill you. Um, and <laughs> anyway, so instead of walking to this room and trying to open one of the doors, if you just walk up the stairs that are in the background, she won't appear. And if you go upstairs, you'll see a pantry to your left. And if you go in there, there are a multitude of items that you can grab. There's like a mop and bowl one and bowl two and a, a cured salami and all this random stuff that you would find in a pantry. And you can pick up every one of these items, but the only two that'll actually do anything in game are uh, kind of comical actually. I forgot just how funny this game was. It's a horror game for sure, but it doesn't take itself too seriously. And that's something as a kid that, you know, probably went over my head or maybe I just thought it was stupid. But the two items in here, one is called uh, No Ghost, 
and the the label reads something of you know get rid of your pesky apparitions with no ghost or something like that and um the other one is spider cider shit you not it's called spider cider and it says um for use in stunning arachnids or something like that and the rest of it can all just either sit there if you put it in your inventory you'll literally do nothing with it you can set some of these items on fire for funsies uh, or later in the game there are certain areas where it'll prompt you it'll say you can leave items that you don't need here and any item that you attempt to leave there if it's something that needs to be used in the game it'll say don't do it but if it's something that you don't need it'll let you just throw it out so that's kind of useful because otherwise you would have pages and pages and pages of all this clutter by the end of the game anyway um, you get the spider cider and the no ghost and now you can go back stairs um, when Scarlet O'Hara appears, you can spray her with the no dose, um, no ghost, excuse me, and she'll die. Except, no, she won't. Actually, this is another kind of funny little thing that happened to me, and I believe it probably caught most players as well. She pops up, you go to use no ghost on her, and it says, uh, attempted to use no ghost on the apparition. Unfortunately, you forgot to take the cap off, and you die. You hack have to actually before you use the item open no ghost yep that's right it was you know it got me man i was like oh these sons of bitches you know and you're only set back one screen so again no consequence and i had a you know a pretty good laugh about oh yeah i'm sure i'm going to meet up with a ghost i'm going to spray it with this stuff that's supposed to kill it and i'm just going to you know forget to take the cap off and let it eat my face but uh the game you know the game does it and it's funny and Okay, t round two, I took the cap off, sprayed her down. She dissolves in a mess, and then you're able to explore all the uh, doors in this hallway. Now, you can go to uh, two separate rooms. One is obviously the, um, the master of this castle's bedroom, and uh, you find some diaries and stuff, scrolls throughout, that kind of explain his story a little bit to you. He's a uh, magician, and he had a star pupil that was um, kind of an asshole and started vying for a lot more power. And this magician of the house um, saw that his pupil was becoming a little too powerful and a little too stupid to be that powerful. And so he froze him in ice and then sealed the item away somewhere. And in the diary it says, um, I don't know where I hit it, but a chair may know the way. Like blatantly obvious earlier I told you about the couch or chair or whatever it was that um, has something hard in it. Well, we can't get in there yet, but upstairs where it past the pantry is a kitchen and you can grab a knife there. There's actually two knives. Knife one or knife two will work and you can cut key one out of the couch in the foyer at the beginning of the game. Now also in this room, gosh, I can't remember. Uh, you can pick up random things like towels, uh, soap, etc. And then the room adjacent to it is the aforementioned uh, evil pupil's room. And you walk in there and says, you know, you feel as though an ominous presence is uh, uh, upon you or whatever. And there's different things that you can see in here and get. I think there's a couple of scrolls. You can go in the bathroom and you'll notice that the, the light in the bathroom says it would appear as though the light has uh, handholds on it which comes into play much, much later in the game, but just kind of keep that in mind. Leave there, you can go to the bedroom across the hall, and it's a, marked as a guest bedroom. There's um, a chest of drawers there that has a ruby in it, but the ruby is uh, quite evil, actually. I, I forget what exactly the game explains to you that the ruby does, but basically in-game what it does is if you take ruby... It slowly corrupts you, and I think after something like 40 moves or something, you'll die from the corruption of the ruby. But then after the death, it gets reset to 40 again. So it really has like, I think it resets to 40, maybe only 20 or 10 or something. But you can get through the game grabbing the ruby. It's just annoying because every so often you'll just die randomly. Uh, most facts and walkthroughs will tell you just to leave the thing there. I've played this game enough when I was a kid that I knew leave the ruby alone, and I just kind of left it there. And um, I think there's one other room here as well that contains a, a few random items in it. Uh, I really I don't recall what all was in it. But if you go upstairs, there's the, you know, the kitchen area I told you about. 
and it has pots and pans and a bunch of bullshit you don't need, but if you want to grab it up, you can. And the two knives I mentioned, and then if you go um, to the left, there's uh, quarters for one of the servants, and this servant has been um, mentioned in some scrolls and letters before as having uh, hid away the pendant that you found in the letterbox out front, and um, he served the master faithfully and didn't trust the pupil, etc., whatever. Um, you go into his room, and you see scratch marks behind a painting there on the wall, and if you attempt to turn on the light in his room, it'll slide across. Now, an apparition will appear of the servant, and uh, he says, No, 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 it's my precious. I mustn't let you have it. Um... You can't get past him. If you attempt to go past him, he'll kill you. So you back on out of there. And um, I don't know where you read it at or if you do it all. But you learn through something that in life that guy was really scared of spiders. So there's this room off the dining room that's off the kitchen that you can go to a back um, like balcony. And when you go back there... A uh, little spider crawls across, just and disappears off screen. You can immediately take out your spider cider and spray the rail down, leave, come back, and then when the spider tries to crawl across again, it'll get stuck, and you can take the spider as an item. Go back, turn the light on again, the apparition comes back, throw the spider at him, and it describes him as shrieking in terror as though a, a, a little girl would, and uh, disappears entirely. Well... Now you can grab the diary, I believe, from behind the uh, the apparition. And, you know, I forget what the diary said. It may have had a clue to something. But the game progresses like this throughout. I mean, it's your standard point-and-click game. But it's got a lot of tongue-in-cheek humor. It doesn't take itself seriously. You can beat this game in... I think I beat it in 45 minutes, and, you know, that was with several deaths and having not played the damn thing for 20 years. You know, there's really not a lot of quote-unquote hard puzzles. There was a few things that kind of stumbled me for a bit, but, man, this game was just delightful. You know, there's, um, oh, I gotta mention this guy. There's this little dude that dances across the screen in this one room, um, and he's, he's a red devil, and he carries a key, and later in the game you have to feed him a cookie, and he'll eat the cookie. It's actually devil's food. And uh, in his haste, when after eating it, he'll leave the key on the plate that you drop the cookie on. But he plays this music, and I'm going to insert that music right now because the music is just so cute and quirky, and it's totally opposite of anything you would find in the game. So here's that music. Alright, we're back, and um, anyway, that that's just something I had to throw in there. Now, that, like I said, the game progresses much as I said. I don't want to go through the whole thing. Uh, it's a great game, as is Shadowgate and Deja Vu. There's another point-and-click game I really enjoy for the Nintendo that plays a lot like this called uh, Princess Tomato in the Salad Kingdom, but it wasn't made by the same company. It was actually made by Hudson Soft. And uh, then, of course, there is Maniac Mansion that's a point-and-click game. After that, I don't know of too many games of this genre that made it onto the NES. So definitely check all those out. They are all worth owning. This particular one has been trending up in value, which is why it made this show. It's sitting at about $40 for a copy, a loose one. Um, quite a bit more for a you know complete copy. Uh, definitely, definitely, if you collect Nintendo at all, 
like any horror games, like any point-and-click games, any of those things, you need to be owning this game. This this title was truly wonderful. Um, now, the next game we're going to talk about real quick um, is a game that <laughs> I, I don't like nearly as much, and that is Nightmare on Elm Street, also for the original Nintendo. Now, this is... Uh, been made famous because um, the angry video game nerd often talks about games made by LGN as being horrifically bad, and this did make one of his uh, episodes of four-player games, I believe. Yes, that's right. You can play Nightmare on Elm Street with three of your friends if you have the NES 4 score. Um, I don't suggest doing so. This isn't a game that you really even need two players on, um... Now, I will say it, it was produced by LGN, but it was actually made by Rare. And Rare makes pretty good shit, especially in this era. So, you know, this game, whereas, yes, it is pretty bad, it's not nearly as bad as a lot of the other things uh, LGN is known for. You know, Back to the Future, etc. Um, how can the X-Men games? Um, in this game, you play as, like... I don't know, some dude, you know, it's not Johnny Depp from the original Elm Street, or at least I don't think it is, although, you know, it could be, I don't know, and the object of the game is, you know, it's a side-scroller, and you punch enemies with, like, the weakest-ass attack you'll ever see, where you punch a few inches out from your character, and you've got incredible ups, like a lot of these old-school video games, you can jump, you know, three times, four times your height, um, whatever, and you collect, um, you actually go through, like, it's kind of, I don't know what the style is, you're running through, like, a road or down a road, and occasionally you'll see a big building behind you, and if the door is open, you can enter the building. Now, I only beat the first of these buildings, I think it was the high school. You go in, and you can collect, uh, bones, which I guess are pieces of Freddy or something. I don't have the manual of this, and I, I don't remember the, the response the angry video game nerd said these things were, but I think they are bones of Freddy, and you're trying to reassemble him to kill him once and for all, or something of that nature. Now, each stage has a certain amount of bones that you have to grab up, and once you do, you're able to fight Freddy at the end. Now, I should also mention this game, you know, it sounded a little bit like uh, Castlevania 2, in that you're gathering the parts of Freddy. Well, much like Castlevania 2, it has a day and night cycle, although in this game it's not so much day and night as it's always night, but more you're awake or you're asleep in Nightmare Land. And when you go to Nightmare Land, I guess it's supposed to be much harder, but while you're in Nightmare Land, if you hit the select button, um, your character will change from being like big dumb doofus that can just punch to an acrobat that throws knives out in front of him. Now, I think I recall as a kid, and I can't remember um, perfectly, and I probably should have looked it up before I started talking about this, but I think there are other forms that you can find as well, like a ninja and a magician or something like that. Um, but the one you start with in Nightmare Land is you can select an acrobat, and he does like, you know, these super backflips a la the original Ninja Turtles, where you fly like and do a million back, you know, flips in the air all tucked into a nice neat ball. And he can throw uh, daggers, not all the way across the screen, but a fair distance, way further than your stupid punch. And it makes the game infinitely easier. I actually prefer Nightmare Land to Wake Up Land or Normal Land or whatever the fuck they call it. Um, so I found myself just playing Nightmare Land. Now you can wake yourself up from that if you find within the stage a boombox, which I guess uh, the music causes you to wake up. I don't know. Um... I did fight Freddy, at least uh, his first incarnation. Now, it will say um, throughout the stage, sometimes it'll say, Freddy's coming in big flashing red letters. And when this happens, um, Freddy will show up and he kind of just runs like you're stuck in a screen for a while. And he runs back and forth. And you can attack him, but it doesn't seem to do shit. Like, uh, it more felt like I just had to stay alive for a certain period of time, and when that time, you know, ran up, I went back to my normal game, so, I don't know, I guess it's supposed to function as, like, you know, a scare tactic or something, I don't remember it ever doing so as a child, uh, it certainly didn't do anything as an adult, but made me kind of pissed, like, oh, now I gotta stop gameplay to fucking deal with this fuck, 
And uh, when you fight him, he runs back and forth swiping at you, and he's like, I don't know how he's doing it, but his, uh, you know, his hand with all the, the claws on or the knives on it uh, will sometimes just stick up from the ground and reach up and try and grab you. And then the first level boss, after you've collected all the bones and you get to the end of the level, is uh, just Freddy's um, just floating hand. Again, you know, whatever. I guess you're in a nightmare, so this is something that's possible. And it's attached to a series of what look like Super Balls or something, kind of like a la Vector Man. Um, it's actually pretty impressive for the NES. And it'll uh, float around and, uh, you know, swipe at you, and you can throw your daggers at it or punch it if um, you're the big doofus. Um, and then kill it, and I guess you go to the next stage. I actually, after beating it, I don't know what I did wrong, but I, it wouldn't let me in any of the other houses, so I just turned the thing off. I was pretty much done with it anyway. Now, this title goes for about 20 25 bucks. Um, unless you're like a huge horror fan or you're trying to get every game for the NES, just leave this one out. It's, it's a pile of, uh, well, you know. Um, there is another game I kind of want to touch on. I didn't actually replay it. Uh, for the NES, and then that one is uh, uh, Friday the 13th, which is similar to um, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street in that it's a bad representation of the movie. I actually love the Friday the 13th movies. I love the um, Nightmare on Elm Street films. You know, as cheesy as they are, they are uh, they're they're actually pretty good. Um, these games, not so much. Now, I will say Friday the 13th is a much better game than Nightmare on Elm Street. You start off with, uh, I want to say, six different camp counselors that you can choose from. And each one is basically the same, except that some are a little bit stronger than others and that they can move faster and jump higher. And I think that's really the only attribute, the attributes that they um, have you know, differentials on. And uh, you play within a Camp Crystal, is it? Crystal Lake. And um, you can run around this map, and there's so many children, like let's say eight or ten children, that are in these different camp houses. And uh, they'll show up on the map, and you can run around. And uh, when it'll say, you know, like a house will start flashing, and Jason's in that house attacking a kid. And if you go there... You can sometimes fight Jason, and sometimes, like, you have to light fireplaces to keep him away, I think. Or that kid dies, and if one of your counselors dies, then you can play as a different one. I remember, you know, you can random, you start out with rocks, which, you know, kind of shit. You can throw these, and they have an arc to them, making them, like, if an enemy is very close to you, it'll actually throw it over the enemy. It kind of makes it harder to hit enemies with, um the rock, but thankfully, usually within a few seconds of killing zombies and bats and whatever else is up, you know, on the normal screens there, um, one will drop either a knife or a torch or a machete, and these are all infinitely better weapons than the rocks, and you can also, uh, fight Jason's mother if you go in these caves, you can go through them, and at the end, Jason's mom, who you may remember in the first film, was the actual murderer, not Jason himself. And you can fight her, and she'll drop... Um, the first time you fight her, I believe she drops a sweater, and when you... Your character, whichever counselor you have, is wearing that sweater, they take half damage from Jason, which is kind of nifty, and you'll kind of, like, glow like these different Technicolors. And I think the second time you fight her, you get a pitchfork. I may be vice versa on that. It's been a long time since i played this game. Um, both of which are super helpful, obviously. And uh, you, it's basically just rinse, repeat. You're always trying to light up these fireplaces and... Uh, keep Jason from eating the kids all the while trying to keep your camp counselors alive. I remember that Mark and Christine, if I, I'm almost positive those are their names, are the two go-to counselors you want to play as because they move you know, much faster and jump much higher than all the other counselors. Um, so those are the guys that you, you want to keep alive if, any, you know, if anyone else. But you want to position your counselors in houses to where you can uh, switch between them so that uh, if Jason starts attacking any one of these uh, 
cabins that you can just get what, whoever's closest to that cabin to go over there real quick before he kills the kid to save the kid kind of thing. And after you kill Jason, I want to say like three, four times, you'll get a screen that's like the end, and then it'll have like a question mark and a picture of his famous mask with a like machete through it and I think a snake running through the eye or something. I remember beating it as a kid and being like really proud of it, but um, aside from just playing it for a couple of minutes to kind of be like, yeah, this isn't something I'm interested in playing for any length of time, I didn't really play it very much. Now this title goes for a little bit less than Nightmare on Elm Street, and if you're looking for something kind of goofy to get into that, you know, if you really devote a little bit of time to, it is somewhat rewarding. You know, this isn't too bad. I think it goes for about 10, 15 bucks. Um, I do see this title quite a bit at like gaming shops and pawn shops, etc. for much, much less than that. So I know the copies are out there for a lot less money. So this is one, yeah, you know, if you collect Nintendo games, this isn't embarrassing to have in your collection by uh, any stretch. So go ahead and pick that one up. Um, other than that, I can't think of any horror games for the NES I really want to talk about. I do want to just kind of briefly mention, again, Maniac Mansion, which isn't really a horror game, but it does have some horror themes. Um, that game is just, if it's not in your collection, you're doing it wrong, guys. That is one of the best games, both soundtrack-wise and gameplay-wise, of any game. Um, Ron Gilbert made that when he was, you know, a very, very young man. It still holds up today. I... A lot of people will cite the computer version as being the version to play. Granted, the graphics on the original computer version are infinitely better than what the NES could do, but the music on the NES is infinitely better than anything that was on the PCs. If you could somehow combine the two, you would have like a perfect port of Maniac Mansion. Um, I can't stress enough how much you need to play that game uh, if you like point-and-click genre at all. This is one of those, it's basically the granddaddy of them all. I mean, Ron Gilbert, he went on to make, uh, you know, the Monkey Island series, which basically influenced everything up to the Telltale games that are being made today, you know, A Wolf Among Us and The Walking Dead, uh, Game of Thrones, all that stuff, which is superb, is all basically based off the model that Gilbert and others of the like, you know, Lucasfilm, with their Indiana Jones games and such, um, those early games, and this is one of the best ones you can possibly own. Uh, it goes for about 20 bucks. Uh, it was put out by Jelco, I think. Uh, anyway, just if you don't already have that one, seek that title out. It is superb. Now, the next few titles I want to talk about are titles that all of you should have played or at least know enough about to be like, okay, well, I know about these games. What's going on there, uh, Retro Kel? Normally you talk about games that are obscure and I hear about stuff that I don't really know a lot about. Well, I would be remiss to talk about horror games that you should own that are trending up in value if I weren't to mention these. So let's start with the series I don't like as much and that would be Resident Evil. Now Resident Evil first appeared on the scene in like, oh gosh, it had to have been 98. Yeah, I, I want to say I was 18 when I saw this game. For the uh, original PlayStation, it also appeared on the Saturn. Um, looking at it now, if you go back in time and you look at the original Resident Evil, you kind of realize how freaking cheesy it is. The original game opens up with this sequence that's actually fully um, filmed. You know, they, they, they have actual actors playing the roles of Jill Redfield and, or whatever, you know. And uh, it's really silly and corny to watch. And then when you get into the actual game proper, uh, the characters are represented by these like horribly polygonal uh, characters that uh, and tank controls and uh, it, they're really hard to go back to. The first one especially um, phrases like "I was almost a Jill sandwich" come to mind. I'm really bad acting, um, especially the guy that did the voice for Barry and Jill herself. Um, it's not to say this is a bad game. It's a very good game. Um, the second one got better. The third one a little worse. The fourth one is a masterpiece. Um, the fifth and sixth ones I have yet to play. I do own them and I plan on playing them, uh, but my backlog on video games at this point is so huge, I don't know when that's gonna be. I do know that most critics have said that those are terrible games. There was also a lot of offshoot games, um, the only of which I can really recommend is Codename Veronica, which I believe was originally slated to be 
uh, Resident Evil 4, and then um, when they redesigned it, they just turned it to a offshoot game, and it's quite good. Um, another bit of trivia, the game Devil May Cry uh, was originally going to be Resident Evil, and then when they revamped it, they turned it into Devil May Cry, or something like that. Some combination of that is true. Uh, fact check me, I guess. Google it. Um... Anyway, all of these games are worth owning in one form or another. Uh, if you have the Saturn version, I do, uh, it's going for quite a bit. I want to say it's approaching fast $50, and it's not even the best version of the game. It's mainly just due to Saturn being a system that didn't sell overtly well, and as such, um, it's going to be worth more. Uh, this also appears on the PlayStation at least two times. I actually have the director's cut and the original version on the, uh, the smaller jewel case. This also came out in a long box version on the original PlayStation. It's also come out on the DS, on the Wii, on the GameCube as a redesign, on the Wii as a redesign. Um, this game is available everywhere. And I own no less than five variants of this game. Um, that's probably a little bit of overkill. Most of these do go for about $15 to $20. As I mentioned, the one for Saturn goes for quite a bit more. Um, you can get it as a digital download on the PSN network for, I believe, $9.99. And if you've never played the original, go ahead and play it. It's worth a play. As I said, though, as it goes on, they get better. Um, if you haven't played four... That thing really holds up. Do yourself a favor. That is a game that will make you pee a little. It, there are some jump scares in that that are just going to get you. I don't care who you are. Uh, and that game is just wonderful. It doesn't play in the same style with the tank controls. Like me being an old fart, I don't mind the tank controls nearly as much. But um, it would be hard for a modern gamer to get into a game like that. Now, the other series I want to mention is of, you know, it should be obvious to anyone listening, is, of course, Silent Hill. Um, the original Silent Hill is one of those games that, you know, I, I bought early on. I bought it within a week of its release, and um, it is definitely a rose-colored glasses type of situation for me where I remember it being just this ungodly, just horrific game that uh, kept me up at night. I was playing it alone, and at one point I decided to walk to the corner store Easy Mart to buy like a late night burrito or something. Now this game came out around 2000, 2001, somewhere in that era because I was right around 20. And um, I'd been playing it all night and if you don't know, the original Silent Hill, when you're walking outside, it's completely covered in fog. Everything is. So your you know, draw distance where you can see things is very limited, which actually just adds a lot to the game. Now, this was actually an accident in the game. Um, they wanted this game to be huge, but their scope was a little bigger than what the PlayStation could actually handle. And as such, they couldn't render these buildings far away to get bigger and bigger and bigger like you see in modern games. Think, you know, any 3D rendered game nowadays, you can see a building as a tiny dot in the distance and then, you know, by the time you get up on it, it's full full-blown skyscraper or whatever well they didn't they didn't have the memory i guess to be able to do that in the early days so the way they very cleverly hid the fact was by shrouding everything in this fog right and it, it made the game really eerie and uh i walked out at three in the morning to go to easy mart after having played this for you know six eight hours straight and there's a blanket of fog everywhere on the ground outside and it was one of the most surreal moments of my life um, no drugs were involved had they been I'd have probably died of a heart attack right then but uh, logic prevailed and I was like okay you're not in the game push through and I put on my hoodie and I started walking that is until my foot hit a grate about a block away from my house and it made in my mind the exact same noise that the game made when you walked across a grate and I just took off in a dead run all the way <laughs> to the easy mark got my burrito and ran back um, 
it really freaked me out. Now, having gone back to the game recently and played a little bit of it to kind of refresh my memory, uh, graphically, this thing just doesn't hold up. It, is it still a good game? I'm more than sure of it. More than sure. One of the things I love about Silent Hill series as a whole is it plays a lot like Resident Evil, but you may know in the Resident Evil series, you start off with a knife and a handgun generally on every one of them, and the handgun is, you know, it's okay, and the knife is, except for in 4, uh, virtually useless. Silent Hill does it more realistically in that, yeah, there are guns, but there are more than just a knife as a melee weapon. In fact, you start with a knife that you find in a diner, but then very shortly thereafter you find an iron pipe. And then later in the game you find a splitting maul, and a katana, and a chainsaw, and an axe, and I don't even remember what else. Much more realistic. If I'm in a world where there's zombie whatever attacking me in Silent Hill, it's like there's only really four or five enemies in the original Silent Hill. You got like the creepy nurses, the naked children. Yeah, I said naked children. But they're like these little potato-looking, weird, creepy-ass things with knives. They're supposed to represent children because they're in a school, and they are nude, if I remember correctly. Um, but they they don't have features like a human would, so I guess it's okay. These are like Kindall, you know, androgynous uh, little thingies. They're creepy as shit, but, um... And uh, there's like these flying things. And in the game, whenever something gets close to you, you carry a radio. And uh, they put this in the game again because you don't have that draw distance where you can see stuff coming at you. Uh, whenever something is getting close to you, the radio will start making the static. And the closer something gets, it'll make more static. And again, it was brilliant. It, it was a flaw in the game that they turned into an asset because it actually added an additional level of just creepiness. And, and they kept that throughout at least... Well, I think that's in all of them, actually. But um, these, the Silent Hill series starts shitting the bed right around um, 4. 4, Silent Hill, The Room. Whereas I felt it was a good game, it got repetitive pretty quick. And then the next installment that I played, anyway, was called Shattered Memories, also for the PlayStation 2. And that was, again, that was just... To me, it was a terrible game. It didn't even follow the, the same formula as the uh, original Silent Hills did. But 1 and 2 are wonderful, 3 is pretty good, 4 is pretty good. Uh, definitely check these out. None of them go for a whole hell of a lot. The first one is starting to trend up. It can get over $40. The rest of them you can usually find for under 20 and they're on virtually everything. You can find them on, I want to say, the original Silent Hill I think is just on the PlayStation 1. I don't believe it got a re-release on the Wii or anything like that. But it's definitely downloadable on the PSN network. Uh, Silent Hill 2 and 3, I think, can be found on virtually everything. Um, just check these things out, man. If you haven't played those games, you're doing it wrong. These are some of the best horror games in existence. Now, another title that a lot of people have a lot of, um, I guess, affinity for that I personally never had was the Slaughterhouse series, which it's my understanding that there's a Slaughterhouse game that came out relatively recently. I forget what they called it. Uh, it got critically panned as being, you know, meh. And I haven't played it, largely because I don't have that same affinity that a lot of people have. Now, this originally appeared, to my knowledge, on the uh, TurboGrafx-16, I think? Although, I think it's most famous for being on the... Um, Sega Genesis, where they have uh, Splatterhouse 1 through 3. Now, I've played all those, and um, in, in my mind, they're just terrible games. They're basically just beat-em-ups. You play the role of this guy that finds... He, he's a normal guy, and he finds a mask, and while he wears the mask, it turns him into a maniac, and he can use weapons to kill stuff. Now, the, the reason this game was super popular was... Graphically, at the time, it looked really good. It was a beat-em-up. Not a terrible one. Not a good one. And there was blood, guts, and gore everywhere. I mean, that's basically what the game was. And you could grab things like, I want to say, you know, you could punch things to death. And you can grab, like, a machete. And I remember a 2 but 4 And I think there's an axe in there. And standard horror flick stuff. 
but it's really just a side scroll and beat em up except it's not all that linear because you can go into whatever rooms and uh, it to me it was never worth it all the games are worth a fair amount of money i i didn't look them up before i started talking about them because i didn't even i wasn't even sure if i was going to mention it um they're all you know 20 30 40 buck range for the genesis and personally, these aren't in my collection. I have them through emulation. I've played them, and I've had them in my collection in the past and uh, traded them for things I wanted a little bit more. If you're a huge horror buff, again, I, I guess, if you're just collecting for Genesis and you just want those, uh, those horror games, sure. Uh, another one I'll just mention real quick that I, I don't have a lot of playtime on, but I do have a repo card of, uh, is Sweet Home for the NES. Now, this is a, a Capcom game that is supposedly the influence for the original Resident Evil. And you can kind of see it, although this plays more like a Dragon Warrior. It's, it's a RPG for sure. And you have, I want to say, six characters. And each one has a unique ability or item that they carry that the others don't have so it kind of sounds like some of the Resident Evil games and then you know Jill is the master of lock picking and uh, Chris Redfield has a lighter or whatever I mean granted in those games the other one can just get an ability or you know whatever of the other one but they start out with that in this game I think these characters are set to have that ability and then no one else does like I remember there's a character with a vacuum cleaner and if there's you know say a bunch of glass in a hallway he's the only one that can clear it out now you can team any one character with any other character but all six I believe um, can't team with each other at any given like they can't you just can't have a party of six and I mean I played this game about an hour before I was like okay if I really start playing this I know I'm gonna end up playing it 20 30 hours and I, I just I don't have that kind of time guys so but um, if you are one of the people out there that still has infinite time and you love original NES RPGs such as Dragon Warrior, this one is really good. And I, I love that I have a repo card for this for when I'm an old man. Hopefully, well, when I'm a very old man and I'm retired, um, I will have time to be able to play it because this is one I, I really want to spend some time on. And it looks great and it sounds great. The music's really good. So, um, that never came to our country, so unfortunately reproduction cards are the only way you're going to be able to get that or through emulation you can find this on virtually any ROM, ROM dumping site for uh, free which I don't normally condone but the fact that this had to have a uh, translation done by fans this is one I would say hey you know go for it it's it's something to definitely check out um there are definitely more that I want to talk about just uh da, 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 give me a second Okay, well, there are more titles I want to talk about as far as horror is concerned. I have mentioned Illbleed in the past. Um, this is a very quirky game for the Dreamcast that is kind of Resident Evil-esque, but not really. It really doesn't take itself seriously. Um, I, I don't know how to describe it. Like This is one that I think you should watch videos on. It doesn't play anything like anything that you know really but it is a horror game it's going for about 50 bucks i feel like if you're a dreamcast collector this is one you have to have i like it um i don't know what to say about it. there's another horror game for the dreamcast that's really cheap uh called blue stinger that is very resident evil like um i think it's only going for 10 bucks definitely pick that one up I could talk more and more and more like I have a huge list of games. I don't want to mention them all because perhaps next year I'll do a similar show if this one was uh, well received and maybe I can talk about some of those titles or go more in depth on some of the ones I didn't really get into heavily uh, on this one. Now, overall, uh, the horror genre is well represented in virtually every system you can think of. Um, I recommend most of the titles I talked about today, a few of which I didn't. Um, just real quick, I want to shout out my uh, 
good friends at the RPG Show. Um, they still haven't done that Fantasy Star episode on the uh, guest spot that I was on last month, but uh, they're working on it. Uh, they had uh, a few problems, or Brent had a few problems with his computer. Uh, I believe he said it ended up restarting him uh, three times. I can definitely relate to uh, to that sort of thing with my uh, lag box of a laptop that I have. Um, so shout out to those guys. Uh, they've been picking up in popularity, and uh, rightfully so. They've got a great show. Uh, shout out to all you guys that have been sending me emails and uh, messages through Twitter. It really... Uh, it makes my day when I see that someone appreciates uh, what I'm doing here. It's you know it's a little show, but it's it's about all I really have time for as far as uh, extracurricular activities um, outside of my family and whatever. And uh, it, it it's well appreciated when you guys say, "Hey, uh, I like what you're doing, Blaine." And uh, so thank you to all the I guess fans or friends. I don't know what to call you guys, but you're all great and. And uh, I love you for it. If you want to get a hold of me, you can find me any number of places. Um, you can find me on Twitter at RetroKel, that's K-H-E-L. Um, you can email me at SimonBelmont at Outlook.com. That's Simon, not Simon, Belmont at Outlook.com. Um, Again, I'm on I'm on Facebook. I have a YouTube channel called The Retro Generation, um, spelt with a J, uh, two words as though it were a name. Uh, I have a few things on there. I I haven't updated that in a long time. I do plan on doing more videos sometime in the future, and that'll be your guess is as good as mine. So um, until next time. Uh, don't be afraid of that monster in the closet. It's just a <laughs> figment of your imagination, I'm sure. And uh, we'll see you next time.